Please stand for the reading of the word from Romans chapter 5. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those that did not disobey an explicit commandment of God, as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. That one was my fault. Good morning, Highland. It's good to see you here. Uh, my name is Shane Hughes. I'm one of the ministers here. And if you're here in our auditorium or if you're with us online, what you need to know if you're with us online is that this auditorium is packed and it feels really good. I know somebody's probably sitting in your chair. Just deal with it, all right? This is Christmas. Uh, someone's going to be in your store and in your restaurant. It's just the way it is. Um, we're glad to have everyone together. I'm so grateful for the worship this morning. Um, I, I think, this is my opinion, and I'm biased, but I don't care. Um, I think Highland has the most beautiful worship when we are all together. And the reason why is not because of our team, which is excellent. The reason is because we are all giving in that moment. Some of us love acapella worship. That's what I grew up with. And it, there's something deep in my soul that resonates when I sing those songs and I hear the church singing it. And I love acapella because it forces everyone to be a part. Like if you, if you show up, but you just sit there, the worship doesn't get off the ground, right? Like everybody has to be engaged in a meaningful way. And that's what makes it full. And some people, they love instrumental music, and they grew up with that, or, or they discovered, like I did in my kind of 20s, that, that there's a whole new level of experience that I can encounter when I hear a bass line and a drum set singing words praising to God. They're both beautiful. And most of the time, here at Highland, you, you choose. If you prefer acapella because that's the way that you worship God, Go for it if you prefer instrumental because that's the way that you go for God. We, uh, we have a, a great option for you. But in the summer and in Advent, what we ask you to do as a church is to give it up. Give up your preference for the sake of somebody else. Give up the thing that you love so that somebody else can experience the thing that they love. And I love that about this church is that that's the best part of our, our seasons is this time when we're all together. And so I want to invite you to make a commitment to yourself. I know that this is a season where there's a lot of travel and everybody's busy. There's a lot going on. But I want you to show up. 
I want you to show up every Sunday in this season of Advent so that you can practice giving up your preference. So you can practice in that moment when you sing a song and you think, man, this song has got to be 200 years old. It is. I want you to look across this room and see someone whose eyes are closed, tears are streaming from their eyes. And I want you to give up that moment. And there's going to be some moment where you hear a drum kick and it disrupts you, right? And it takes you out of that moment. And, and you think, what is going on? What are we doing? I want you to look across the room and see a young person or maybe some not so young people who are just into it, right? Like they're just vibing. And they say, praise God for that moment, okay? That's what it means for us to be church together. So show up this season. We're going to be in this series that we're calling Son of Adam, Son of God. Every tree tells a story in its rings. Maybe you've gone to one of those national parks where they have one of those giant redwoods that's been cut down or a, a big sequoia and you can count the rings. Or maybe you've been to those <coughs> excuse me, places in the south and you've seen trees that were 300 years old and all that's left is a stump and you can look at those rings. Those rings tell a story, years of plenty. You can see years where there was a fire or thin rings where there was years of drought. It's true in every tree. It's also true in your family tree. Maybe you have the genealogist that's done the work, or maybe you just punted and let 23andMe figure it out of where you came from and what your story is. Maybe you discovered that you have someone in your... <coughs> I'm going to need some water, Jeff. Um, a story in your family of someone that came to America on the Mayflower or one of those important ships, or maybe they came in the bottom of a tramp steamer. Maybe they came here in chains. Maybe you're related to somebody that's famous, or you have like a poet in your family history, or, or royalty, somebody that was important, or maybe you have somebody that's infamous in your family tree. In, in my family system, the legend is that we are related to the outlaw Jesse James. He was my great, 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 great uncle-in-law, and that sounds pretty cool <laughs> until you read about what he did. Sometimes you have those stories that don't get told on Thanksgiving, but you learn them when you turn about 20, and someone decides you're old enough to hear about some of the skeletons in your own closet. In my family, there was this mysterious phone call. I didn't know about this story until I turned about 16, and one of my uncles told me. My mom answered the phone when she was a girl. She was like 15 or 16 years old, and uh, she had two younger brothers. They were um, about six and eight years younger than she was. And the person on the phone said, is this the Whitman residence? My mom said yes. And she said, well, I'm calling about the baby. And my mom said, what baby? They said, uh, Herman Whitman's house? Yes. I'm, I'm calling about the baby. And my mom said, there's no baby here. And the person said, okay. And she hung up the phone. That phone call has existed in my family for a long time. 
the questions that surround it, what was going on there. And sometimes it might feel better like leaving well enough alone. My mom, for the reason of this call, has never done like that 23andMe test where you can kind of see the other people that have taken it because she is aware that she might discover that she has more siblings than she thought she did. But other times, it's better just to dig in. I was telling a friend of mine in California, he's Scottish, and uh, he was working as a mathematician at, at at a tech company. And I was telling him about my family tree, which takes us to to Wales. And I thought Wales was awesome. I don't know a lot about it, except that it's got a dragon on the flag, which is cool. And so I was telling him with rather a good amount of pride, yeah, you know, my family uh, was from Wales and we immigrated to Kentucky. And he said, really? And I'm not even going to try to do his Scottish accent because I could barely understand him and I want you to understand me. But he said, really? Do you know anything about Wales, the Welsh? I said, oh, they're industrious people. They work hard. He said, they were all poor. He said, the way that you look at rednecks is the way that we looked at the Welsh. Every joke about a sheep comes from Wales. And, uh, and I said, really? He said, yeah, they're, they're not good people. They're not cultured. I said, well, my, you know, my, my family immigrated from Wales to Kentucky, and they were coal miners. And he said, yeah, that was what all, every poor person in Wales did. They were all worked in the coal mines. It was dangerous, terrible work. Really? He said, yeah, and your last name is Hughes. You know, that's a, that's a French name. Uh, so your ancestry is not royalty because your, your people worked in the coal mines yet you have a royal person's last name. And he just let me fill in the blanks. In Luke chapter 3, Luke wants us to know about Jesus' family tree. And it's not the same as Matthew's. Both gospels include a genealogy, and if you read them side by side, you realize the names are a little bit different. Luke is going to trace a different route because he has a different purpose. He wants his audience to hear something different than what Matthew wanted his audience to hear. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus is the son of Abraham and the son of David and the son of the exile. That's how it's organized. There's this kind of three sets. Because what Matthew wants you to know is that that Jesus is the promise of God and the fulfillment of Scripture. And Matthew's going to plow right in. He's going to do just like that Scottish friend told me, saying that there are things in your family that you might want to be kept secret. And if you want to know what those things are, pay attention to the women who are mentioned in Matthew's genealogy. That's the clue. Because even in Jesus' family, there are seasons and years when things didn't go the way one would hope. But in Luke, the Gospel of Luke, which Leah read on the video this morning, the author has a slightly different purpose because instead of ending in Abraham, Luke ends with Adam, Adam who is the son of God. And what Luke is doing is a much wider, more inclusive take. Every person on the planet can find themselves in the tree of uh, the family tree of Adam. It is the family tree of all of humanity. And it's also a reminder that God was at work from the beginning. 
that Jesus isn't just the hope of Israel. Jesus is the hope of the entire world. And so what we're going to find is in this season is that this is so much more than a list of names. The genealogies ground Jesus as the, as the incarnation. He is both fully human and fully God. And so this year, for our families, if you want to partake, I'm having trouble today. Um, for this year, for our families, those who want to partake, we're offering this kind of take-home, and it's called a Jesse tree, and you can pick this up. Now, I say it's for families, but... It's kind of for everybody, but we want to let our families have the first shot. And inside, you're going to find a little family tree, and you're going to find some stickers. And every day, you can take a sticker and put it on the tree. And every day, as you do that, we want you to kind of tell the story that that sticker is around. Now, if you don't feel confident that you might know that story, they're all based in this book called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And so you can pick this up. In fact, Ashley's got some free ones over in his kids. If you want to go find her afterwards, you can have one of these for free. Um, and we want you to pick it up. We want you to take it home. And we want you to do it as, as, a, as a whatever your family looks like. Now, some of you may be thinking to yourselves, I would really love to do that, but I kind of feel silly using stickers. You don't have to do the stickers. You and your family can have that conversation. In fact, we've included a, a discussion guide for, for older folk um, so that everyone can be involved. Now, if you're like my family then you might think, I don't need one pack of stickers, Shane. I need three because we all love stickers in my family. Like there's going to be a brawl about who gets to put which sticker where. You can have more stickers, but we want everybody to have a chance first. So please just take one. And then if you need more, call the office, stop by the office, and we'll make sure that you can get another set. But we want to make sure everybody has one this year. It's a Jesse tree. And it's out of the quote in Isaiah that talks about Jesse being the father of David, that out of the root of Jesse, a new shoot will branch. It's a prophecy that points to Jesus. And this is a rich historical tradition that happens in the church. It's something that I had never heard about until this year, but it's something that has existed for nearly a thousand years. And so here at Highland, we have our Jesse tree. You can see it. And uh, the only kind of style around a Jesse tree is that it doesn't have any leaves. And rather than the Christmas trees that are full fur and beautiful, it tends to be bare. But as you tell the story of the coming of Jesus, day by day, you put a new ornament on it, and the story becomes the beauty of the tree. And so we have our first ornament. Maybe you can see it there. Maybe you can. It's the story of Adam. The tradition is very old. It begins all the way back in France. <coughs> and the way the church store told the story of the rings of Jesse was through rose windows, like the one at the Cathedral de Saint-Denis. And it had these 24 circles um, that surrounded the rose window. And each of those rose window circles had a story that came out of the Old Testament. And so it was available. That's not the slide I'd love to see. I would love to see the next one. All right. See, the, around that, the, you can see those circles there around the rose window. Each of those had a picture of a person. And in a pre-literate society or mostly illiterate uh, society, you told the story of Jesus through, through the, the stained glass. It was the way that you formed the community. 
And so around Advent, every year, they would just tell the story of the rings. There would be 24 of them. And so beginning December 1st with your family, we would invite you to engage in this discipline. And we will wonder at the work of God who so carefully and meticulously planned the arrival of, of Jesus. And we will gasp at the grace of God who you've so many broken people just like us. So I want to invite you to engage in Advent this year. If this is a new experience for you because you grew up in Church of Christ and you have no idea what Advent even means, just come along for the ride with us. Do some practices at home that put your mind and your heart getting ready, living in expectation for the moment when Jesus arrives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this day, for this time. Father, for the moment that we are gathered here together, I give you praise. And I pray that you pour through me the gift of preaching, that I might speak your truth and love to these, your people. That prayer that has been prayed so many years here at Highland, may it imbibe and enrich us again. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. So if you don't know the story of Adam and Eve, y'all, there's only one service today. There's no class after this. I'm going 50 minutes. I don't care. Just kidding. Um, if you don't know the story of Adam and Eve, what you have to realize is one basic truth. The story in Adam and Eve is not the breaking of a law or a rule. It's the breaking of a relationship. Right? Adam and Eve, they're told don't do one thing and they do it, right? It's not about that they kind of violated some sort of brokeraged agreement that God had formed. It's that they broke the heart of God. And from that broken relationship, there could be no recovery. You can imagine a children's book. I think this would be an amazing children's book to write. It was the problem of the big little lie. Did you eat of the fruit that I told you not to eat? It's a little lie, but it had big consequences. Consequences that began to <clears throat> begin gen become generational. It not only affected Adam and Eve and their departure from the Garden of Eden and the, the, uh, being thrown out of the garden is, is not just the, the symbol of like, well, here's punishment, shame, shame, shame. It's that they couldn't be close to God anymore in the way that they were. The relationship had been severed. And you know that's true in the garden because you know that's true in your life. You've had that moment when you told the first lie to someone that you loved. And they found out. And they just looked at you different. Maybe it's when you lied to an employer and you did something that you weren't supposed to. And you, you realize like, hey, I'm going to come in. I'm just going to fix this. This isn't a big deal. I'm going to say I'm sorry. But you realize there's something that has changed. It's no longer the same. And there could be amounts of forgiveness or, or lack of forgiveness of consequences. But the relationship is broken. I think this is what Paul is talking about in, in Romans chapter 5. If you need to understand Romans, here's a real quick run through. You have to understand Romans 1, 2, 3, and 4 to really get Romans chapter 5 where we're starting today. Romans chapter 1, Paul is basically kind of trying to say to a Jewish audience that's living in Rome, well, it's Judas, Jewish and Gentile, but he's going to say, you know, from a Jewish perspective, I got to tell you guys all, all of you pagans, you're a bunch of sinners. And everybody that's a Jew is like, you tell them, Paul, you get after them. He'd say, look, you guys just create ways of doing evil. You worship things that are dead. I can't believe all of the silly things that you guys engage in. You're just a bunch of sinners. 
And then in Romans chapter 2, he kind of turns the tables and he looks at all of his Jewish friends and says, hey, what about all of you, huh? If you're delighting and watching what they're doing just so you can judge them, if you're scrolling through your Facebook feed aghast at what you see, that feeling of aghastment, that's sin. Oh, and by the way, in your own backyard, what you're doing, it's just as bad as those guys and you should know better. Romans chapter 3, he says, all have fallen short of the glory of God and need to be redeemed by God's grace. And then he wants to kind of outlay his argument. And then chapter 4, the roots of this story begin with Abraham, who's an example of what it looks like to trust in God's righteousness. Abraham didn't do it on his own. He didn't go from Ur to the land of promise by himself. He didn't have children in his late age on his, by his own will. He did it because he trusted what God said God would do. And that was credit to him as righteousness. God, they trusted God's promise. But, Romans chapter 5, if, if, if trusting God's promise is the solution, then what's the problem? And in chapter 5, Paul wants to explain the problem of sin. And there's two ways to read this text, and I want to go through them both very briefly. One way to read this text is to, to read it through the eyes of Martin Luther. And Martin Luther was trying to solve a problem in the Catholic Church. He didn't want to become, um, break off from the Catholic Church. He wanted to restore it. He wanted to reform it. He wanted to talk to leaders and say, we need to do something differently about the state of the church the way it is. And he said, I think the solution is not through somehow paying the church for sin, but, but to realize that it's grace that saves us. And so he reads Romans and he finds the solution to the problem that he desperately needs to solve. Is that grace comes by no other means than by Jesus Christ's blood. That's how you get it. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You don't deserve it. It's not because of who your parents were or your ancestry. It's just simply because God chooses to give it to you. And we've taken that in the West, and we've read it as kind of an individual place. Like, that's how I get saved. And the criticism of this is that it's not... Romans is not really about how much you get saved as much as how we get saved, or better yet, how the world gets restored. If you think that God's purpose in sending Jesus Christ was just to save you, that's true, but it's shallow, which may be hard to hear. It's true. And you've heard it before. I'm sure you've heard it from some preacher that said, you know, if you were the only one in the world, God still would have sent his son to die. That's absolutely true. But if that is the only thing that you think God is accomplishing, then I got a whole new story to tell you. You see, what happens in Adam is that the sin gets imputed, right? It becomes like this genetic marker that begins to get passed down generation to generation, and no one can escape it. No one can get out from under it. Because of Adam's disobedience, because of the rupture of relationship, no one can bridge it back again. Nobody can get back to that space where they're trying to be. His sons kill one another. Noah lives in a time where everybody's just creating ways to be evil to one another. The story of Babel is the story of organized evil against God. There's all of this kind of growing power that keeps going, and no one can stop it. Righteous people on their own, they can't do anything about it. and we die. Death is imputed because of our parents, our first parents' sin, not because of our own. The reason that Cain and Abel and Noah all die is not because that they were sinful, but because 
relationship was broken. And Paul creates this parallel moment in Romans chapter five. It, it also means that your own righteousness cannot give you life. But Jesus' righteousness is also imputed on us by grace through faith. Your freedom and hope is not based on your own ingenuity or your bootstrap lifting or your white knuckle self-control. Those things cannot get you there. It's Jesus. It's always been Jesus. And so the second way of reading Romans chapter five wants to take the whole cosmos into view. Yes, you can experience the grace of God as you give your life in obedience to him. But that's not just what Jesus is here to do. Jesus is here to redeem the world, to restore the world. Because God doesn't want you to escape. God wants Jesus to reign. And I think that echoes some of what Richard was saying when he said why Highland chose to stay where we chose to stay. We could have moved, but we chose to stay in this neighborhood to love this neighborhood, to love the people to whom we were called. Because God doesn't want you to escape. God wants Jesus to reign wherever it is that you're planted. Because through Jesus, God gives life. The first century Jewish understanding of Abraham would be that it was a solution to Adam. But what Paul wants to do here is to show that Jesus is not only the solution for Israel, but for the entire world. It's more than just personal salvation. It's the restoration of Eden. And it's not some hope in the future. Those of us that have chosen to give our lives to Christ, we form a new community in the garden. We couldn't solve the relationship problem, but Jesus does. And I think that's what Shannon Tippins was talking about when she was talking about miracles waiting to happen. Because when you live in that community, when you live in that garden, when you've been changed by the power of Jesus, when you've been empowered by the Spirit, you see that stuff all the time. Miracle, miracle, miracle about to happen. Because you see what God is doing, planting the seeds of the kingdom in others. And it gives us hope. And so maybe this year, as we think about Advent, past all of the, the frantic, <laughs> the busyness of this time, past the crowds and past the, all the dinners and stuff that you got to do, take a moment to pause and to acknowledge the reality that through Jesus Christ there is victory. Not just salvation of your soul, but the restoration of our city and the restoration of the world. I want to invite our prayer team to come up today. Uh, they want to be available to you if you have any sort of prayer need that you have. Uh, they would love to talk with you, pray with you. If it involves a cup of coffee this week, uh, they want to be available to you. Our elders are willing to shepherd. They're excited to shepherd. They're able to do that. Would you please stand for our benediction?
Please don't forget to grab a Jesse Tree packet on your way out, one per family today. If you need more uh, stickers, we'll get them later this week. If you need a a story Bible to tell with your children, uh, Ashley will have that for you. Highland Church, for the past nearly 100 years, we have been committed to the task of restoration. Committed to the task of see where God is joining, where God is working, and we join God there. It's not because we're great, or we're smart, or we're capable. It's because Jesus came. It's because Jesus saved us. And that has changed our lives forever. So may you go with the Spirit of God. May you be courageous in everything you do. And go in peace.